0: Hi, it's great to see you today. Hope you're having a happy Easter. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about raise to raise, and we've been playing on those two words, raise. R-A-Z-E means to destroy or to pull down, and then R-A-I-S-E is, you know, to raise something up, to build something up. And what we've been doing is looking at the ministry of Christ and what God's been trying to do through the life of Jesus, right even up to the point of the death and the resurrection is that he's wanting to tear down things and build other things up that will be beneficial in our life, in our relationship with him. Uh, we learned about how he tore down the separation between us and the Father, and through the, the death of Jesus on the cross, the raising of Christ down through the uh taking the sins of the world on himself and then raising him up again on the third day that that separation between us and god has been removed the separation between us and one another has been removed and we can have fellowship with one another and we can all come to god through christ uh equally um we also learned about how god has torn down the despair that we may experience in life and times like this where we become hopeless and that through the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, that he's torn down the hopelessness and that he's begun the process of raising our heads, raising us to new life, giving us a new hope. Um, so, you know, as we're into Easter, uh, Easter is like kind of one of those uh, big ones for the Christian faith, but it's kind of mosh pitted together with a bunch of other stuff. I mean, we celebrate it as the resurrection of Christ, but also there's other religions that are involved the Jewish faith is celebrating Passover at this particular point in other countries they're celebrating the return of spring and summer with you know festivities and with observances and and then there are like pagan connections to the whole Easter idea and uh, observing the names of of goddesses and gods and that's where we get the name Easter from so it has really become a lot of things combined together it's it's kind of like Christmas, which has all kinds of ancillary stories and symbolisms that have emerged a part of the Christ story in his birth. And I think when it comes to Easter, all this produces like a semi-religious, mythical, symbolic jumbo of mumbo-gumbo. I mean, it really is. It's just like this big pot of different ideas that have been put in the pot from different cultures and different belief systems, and and it all gets stirred up, and it's become this thing, and then we serve it up every year at this time, and, and we call it Easter. Um, but in the moment that we're in right now as a church, that we're in as a nation, that we're in personally, and also at large as a world, um, I, I think it's drawing us closer to having a different perspective of Easter. Or if I could even say it a different way, a different perspective of the resurrection. Now I know a lot of times people will argue, especially church people will argue about whether or not you're supposed to call it Easter or are you supposed to call it the resurrection. And most years I really don't care about that. It's just not nothing I really care about. Um, but this year it really kind of emerged as really mattering to me. And I was I was interested, why... Is it so important? Why is the resurrection so important to me today? Um, And it it began to kind of tug on me about what I want in my relationship with God, what I want out of my faith. And it began to kind of say, okay, what about this thing called resurrection? You know, um, it's funny, the further we get away from an idea or an event or an object, the more we begin to convert that event, particularly that idea, into something symbolic. You know, the the more that there's distance between us and the actual event, that when we don't have the concrete information about the event, we begin to turn it into something more symbolic, something that's something different um, than its concrete value. I remember the start of that movie, Lord of the Rings, And it's this beautiful quote that is read at the very start, and it's this. And some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend, legend became myth. And for two and a half thousand years, the ring passed out of all knowledge. I think at times, our understanding of truth can begin to subtly migrate into something less substantial. Um... This getting away from the object is not just a measure of time, but more importantly away from the concrete reality of the truth or the idea or the event. And the more, uh, the less we believe in something, but we still want to hold on to it, we have to, we have to kind of create some sort of mechanism that, I, I like this idea. I want to hold on to this idea, but I don't know if I really believe this idea. So we tend to turn the idea into its symbolic value or a belief in theory. We we tend to um the, the conflict of the fact of, let's say, believing in God or believing in certain things that if we have a hard time holding concretely into it, what we'll do is we'll migrate into something that's more symbolic. We do the, the same thing with Christmas when we started out with Jesus being born in a manger. Then somewhere along the way, we migrated to this idea that's kind of Jesus-like in Santa Claus. Well, we, well not even Santa Claus yet. We, we go from Jesus to St. Nicholas. Um, centuries later and and then we find out about his giving spirit and his giving heart and and then we kind of migrated that into something more like Santa Claus and ho 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 and then we kind of turned reindeer into this thing and Rudolph and all of it and and then that doesn't really exist and we and mom and dad are just giving in the name of Santa Claus because it's a spirit of giving because of Saint Nick and because of Saint Nick because of Jesus was born in a manger and you see how far it gets away. And, and so all of this can have started with this concrete reality, but now we're over here. And, and, and then for some of us, once we get to this place, we don't even know if we believe in the concrete reality anymore because we've gotten so far away from it. The coronavirus has moved all of us closer to the reality of our mortality. I know this sounds kind of grim, but it really has. Um, three weeks ago, a bunch of spring breakers were down in the beaches of Florida and they just filled the beaches in Florida. And I know that, uh, yeah, we gotta be fair, uh, it's not that they were out there to kill a bunch of baby boomers and, and you know, bring the, the virus back to other people and to kill all the old people, but I, I think it's more that death and mortality are almost not real to them. You remember what it was like. If you remember what it was like to be 30, it's, you're invincible. You can't be destroyed. You're you're on spring break. You can party as much. You can eat as much. You can drink as much, and you can stay up as late. and And the thought of something severe like dying um, is so far removed from you. It's far away. It's it's kind of like the person. It's usually like a tough guy, and he's got his Jim Beam or Jack Daniels, and he'll say, "Yeah, I would rather party in hell than uh, with the devil than." To, go to heaven and worship with the saints Um, well that's that's really a cool idea when you're so far removed from the facts but I think if the same person was taken and presented with the brought up close to the realities of heaven and even the realities of hell itself I think maybe it would produce a different result in that person so maybe when you're 30 you look at mortality and death as a conceptual truth you know it's true but it's really true in concept for you but the belief begins to morph and to change in your life when you become eighty. All of a sudden, it becomes something real concrete, and or when you're given an MRI and told that your life and well-being is being threatened. I, I can remember there was a transition in my dad's life when he was about eighty. That every time he'd be on the phone or whenever he'd visit or whatever we talked, or even when we would go to bed at night, and when he was visiting, I'd say, "Well, see you in the morning, Pop," and he'd say, "Well, Lord willing." You know, and it was like, what, <laughs> you crazy old man? <laughs> you know, and, and I used to laugh, at, and it's funny, and now I'm 60, 61, and you know, and and I'm beginning to look at this, and it's like, wow, okay, death is a real thing, and it's, you know, 20 years away, and all of a sudden, it moves from this conceptual truth into a a real concrete idea, and I think today, COVID-19 has brought the question of the sustainability of our way of life and our mortality very close. And I think it brought it closer than most of us were ready for. Most of us were already counting our time, our coins, and, and our lifestyles and all that stuff. And it was like, we're going to be okay for a long time. It's going to be all right. Social Security's going to hold up, and we're going to have our jobs, and I'm going to stay in shape, and, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to run that marathon, and and we're going to be all okay, and it's going to work out. And, and death, that's a, that's a long ways off. And all of a sudden, COVID-19 brings for all of us, whether we're 30 or 80, it all of a sudden brought this this concept of, wow, my way of life could change. My death and mortality, they're real. They're not just conceptual ideas. And so this is not the time to all of a sudden discover that your faith is theoretical. You know, it's not time to hold an idea like the resurrection. It's a metaphorical idea. It's like, I don't want an Easter. I want resurrection. You see how a moment like this could change me from wanting, well, Easter, and it's got all of its accoutrements with it, but I don't want all that. I just, I, I, just, I want resurrection. I mean, it all of a sudden changes the idea, and the symbolic meaning of resurrection is not going to steer down the troubles that you and I are facing every single day with or, with or without a virus. And I think too many of us have allowed our beliefs, our truths in life to begin to migrate. And some of the things that should not have been forgotten were lost. And history became legend, and legend became myth. And for 2,000 years, the resurrection of Christ passed out of all knowledge. See, today, COVID-19 is playing with live ammo. And because of it, our economy, if you want to call it that, our economy of looking at death and and um, mortality and God issues and religion and resurrection, the economy of standing back and kind of looking at it and holding it in some sort of symbolic kind of way, because we don't want to throw it all out, but we don't really necessarily want to have to make a concrete decision about it. And and so to handle it, we've kind of turned it into something else. But now we're beginning to find out that um, maybe it's all been compromised, that um, we're discovering that we don't have anything to shoot back. We don't have anything in our spirit or, or in our... Um, souls that have the ability to push against the challenges that we're experiencing. Maybe our Christian belief has been a symbolic representation that has melded with other beliefs into a pocket knife, you know, we just kind of brought it all in, we brought in the American dream, we brought in, you know, be the best version of yourself and follow your heart and a little bit of Eastern mysticism and well, let's bring some Star Wars stuff into this and let's bring it all together and, and we could hold it symbolically all meaning the same thing and, and we meld it all together and, and we put it in our pockets and then we find ourselves with a gun in our face with live ammo, and we're like, hold on, hold on, I got I got something, and we're pulling out this thing, this symbolic belief system that's no more than a pocket knife in a shootout. That's why I, I think the story of Thomas and the resurrection is so important. I mean, normally you somebody will read to you a, the other account of it on that morning of the resurrection, the women going to the tomb, the stone being rolled away, the angel, and all, all that part, but I... I really resonate with Thomas today, and there's something about the story that I found that was super important, and let me just give you some of the background. So on Easter, or Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is risen from the dead and has appeared to a few women and some of the men. Then later on that evening, he shows up to the disciples and he appears to them, and they're blown away, but Thomas isn't there. So maybe the following day, they find Thomas, they tell him what happened, and they're just excited to tell him that the Lord has risen. But Thomas is really resistant about believing that Jesus has risen from the dead. But he, he's not just resistance, um, resistant. He, uh, he really pushes back with some very strong language. And we're going to figure out why. But he says this to them. He says, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side where the spear was, I will never believe. It's like, wow. Wow, that's, that's I can't believe you said something like that. So let's pick up the rest of the story and see how this plays out for Thomas. Eight days later, after appearing to them the first time, Jesus' disciples were inside together, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, I love it, he's just turning to this young guy, and he's like, Listen, I know you got doubts. I know you got fears. And it's okay. I love it. But he turns to Thomas and he says, Put your finger here and and see my hands. And, And put out your hand and... Place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas immediately answered him and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Well, blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. And he's talking about us. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe, you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Thomas gets labeled historically as the doubter in the group. It's kind of a little play on his name. You know, it's kind of like being called the Debbie Downer. Um, It's doubting Thomas whenever you're a doubter about something and um, I don't think this is gonna work out. It's like, well, stop being a doubting Thomas. But I don't think it's doubt here. I mean, there may be a component of it, and Jesus did say, stop disbelieving. And so there is an element to it, but I think it's layered with something else. Because he's seen Jesus do a lot of crazy stuff over the last three years. I mean, he's seen Jesus raise dead people. He's seen Jesus walk on water. I mean, he had no reason to say, huh, oh, okay, you can do that. It wasn't like, there was a lot of people in the Old Testament that walked on water, and Jesus is just another dude that came along and was able to do the same thing. Nobody had done that before. Jesus turns um, the fish and the the, the group of, of pieces of bread into enough food to feed 5,000. He turns water into wine. I mean, he does some really dramatic things in front of the disciples. So it's not like Jesus, that Thomas hasn't seen a miracle before. And it's not like well, I don't believe these guys. These guys are all idiots. You know, you know Peter and John. They're always you know, punking us. I mean, this is three days. Um, well, I mean, Jesus has died. A significant event has taken place. He's risen from the dead. Um, and then the disciples have just discovered this, and he's appeared to them. So we're still in the emotions of this moment, and they're talking to Thomas about believing. I don't think they're punking him. I, I don't think Thomas thinks these guys are lying to him. Um, there's just something else that's going on here. And and here's why I think there's something else. Because he wants to put his hand in Jesus' side where the spear was. Nobody else seems to have asked for something like that. He wants to take his finger and he wants to place it in the hole in the hands of Jesus where the nails were. And what that tells me is that Thomas wants something substantially real. And that's why he's wanting to touch substance. That's why he's getting visceral. He wants to put his hand into the side of Jesus. And I know that's kind of a, a, a striking imagery, but uh, and he wants to put his finger in the hole is because Thomas wants to touch substance because that's what Thomas wants. He doesn't want just... Uh, Just another faith. He wants something that is Substantially real. He doesn't want a faith metaphor. He doesn't want a fringe spiritual experience Thomas wanted a resurrection that was substantial And that's I mean, that's really profound. He didn't want just another idea He didn't want something that just relates to angels he didn't want just something to calm down his thoughts. He didn't just want some other um, thing that religious people do. Thomas wanted a resurrection that was God-accomplished and substantially human. And you know, I, I phrase it that way, but looking at Thomas and listening to what he says and looking to what he's asking to do and the way he wants to verify his faith, in his belief it kind of speaks to me that he wants it to be something that's God accomplished because if God did it well then it's something that uh, is sustainable. If God makes it, then it can last forever and if God did it then it's repeatable. And if God did it, then it's the very basic nature of it it's good. and so he's he's looking for a resurrection that has the substance of sustainability, something that is um repeatable in his life, in something that would be good for his life. He wants to be substantially human because he wants it to apply to his real life. He wants it to be substantial in his life. Thomas isn't doubting because he's the worst of all others. He wants a real resurrection. And he's really just saying what the Apostle Paul tells us about Needing a resurrection that's not symbolic or just another religious metaphor, but that is a real substantial event that is taking place. Listen to what Paul said. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. For if the dead are not rise, not even Christ has been raised, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. All that dying for your sins, eh, you know, it's it's really no different than the Easter bunny. And I'm not trying to be irreverent. But if he doesn't rise from the dead, it's just a lot of hopeful talk that is not substantiated by anything of substance. There's no flesh behind it. There's no reality, not only in, in the heavenlies, but in substantially human as well. And he continues and he says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, if there's no resurrection. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So if just believing in Jesus and him dying, then he's like, that's pretty pitiful. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep the first among many. For since by a man came death by a man, also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. See, this is why Jesus invites Thomas to put his hand in his side. Um, This is why Jesus eats with the disciples. You know, people always wondered about that. It's like, what? Why is he eating with them? I mean, isn't he? Um, you know, what happens to the food? Is he hungry? Uh, and so Jesus eats with them. This is why Jesus helps them catch some fish about a week later, and builds a fire, and is warming himself by the fire, and and then hangs out with them for a while. And and why is he doing all this? Is because he wants to reinforce the substantial meaning of the resurrection and and its meaning for humanity. Not just what God can do, not just what it means angelically or what it means in heaven, but what it means for humanity. That it's a real-life humanity that the resurrection is for, not some sort of alien angel world. That the resurrection works for humanity. Humanity. The resurrection of Christ works to help us as we live, Um, in our human marriages, in our human grief, in our human struggles, in our human failures, in our human doubts. Um, It's not just a mythical story to give us hope. It's a story that is substantial, it's visceral, it is God accomplished in its It's substantially human, meaning that it applies to humanity and real human life. So what do we believe about the resurrection? And and I don't mean as a creed, because... So we could probably be far away from that, like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. That, could, that can be somebody else's declaration of a concrete event that we have just turned into something symbolic. But the question for us personally, personally for you and for me, is, is what do you believe about the resurrection? You know, um, eggs are, Easter eggs are symbolic for some people of the tomb being ready to open. And That's pretty cool. Uh, symbolism. Uh, The Easter bunny, if you wonder how that worked in there, there's a whole fertility thing for one group. And, And for Christians, I guess the Easter bunny is symbolic of new life. So what is the empty tomb symbolic of? Well, that's the thing. The empty tomb isn't symbolic of anything. It has meaning, not symbolism. It really happened. It's not a shadow of an object, it is the object. It is a concrete event that has really taken place. It is not symbolism. So there is, the, the resurrection of Jesus is not symbolic. It's concrete. It's real. It's a real event, and it and and it has meaning to it. And the apostle Paul, he said, if the dead are not raised, if this thing is just another Easter bunny, if this thing is just another um a symbol, religious symbolism or metaphor, he says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That it has no effect on us. So, what is the resurrection? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means that God, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, has given meaning and a future to our lives. That's why Thomas demands uh, the other disciples to put his hands in the side of Jesus to prove it. Because a real resurrection changes everything. I don't need you just to tell me about it. He says, I don't need just that kind of resurrection. I don't need um, a, a, a symbolic gesture from God. I need something that is real in my life. And a symbolic one is no better than 12 dozen eggs with food coloring on them. I mean, that's what a symbolic resurrection is. But for Thomas, when he realizes that it has been accomplished by God and it is substantially for humanity and affecting real humanity, he falls on his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. He's he's not just trying to find out whether he believes in God or not, but he makes this transition not only to assenting to the idea that this is real, but to the idea that it penetrates his life because it will transform my life. You are my Lord and you are my God. God and he falls on his knees before Jesus. See, that's what a substantial resurrection does. What does a real resurrection really mean? That God is supreme over all creation. That human life is more than the health of our bodies. That what we call demise in death, God calls a beginning. And because of the resurrection, a real resurrection, we are more than flesh and blood, that we are really forgiven, that we are part of the kingdom of Christ, that we are citizens of the city of God, that we are more than survivors in this life, that we are the children of God that we are never alone or forsaken, that we are promised the Holy Spirit of the resurrection to quicken and strengthen our lives, and that we are at home with God. The resurrection is not symbolic of anything. It is real, and it's transformative. It is reality, and it is a reality greater than COVID-19, and it is a reality that is greater than death itself. I know that your life has probably been challenged and probably has even been changed over the last couple of weeks. And I'm gonna to have to be honest with you, there is no promise that things will go back the way they were. And I can tell you that the substantial meaning of the resurrection is that Jesus didn't die and rise so that you and I could go back to the way life was. But the resurrection of Jesus declares That God's plan for your life here and beyond is guaranteed substantially. Not theoretically, not symbolically, not metaphorically, not theoretically, but substantially. And that God wants us to believe in it, walk in it, and benefit from the resurrection of Christ. You know what's funny? As far as we know, Thomas Navarro did get around to putting his hand in the side of Jesus. You know, we all, all have ways that we think God has to prove himself to us. You know, we, we all think, well, if God's real, then he'll fix this for me. If God's real, then he'll stop that from happening. If God's real, then he'll you know put some sign up here in the sky or you know let some bird land on the tree and begin to talk to me or whatever i mean some we all have ideas about what it would take for us to actually believe in god and to believe in his resurrection but 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 um thomas never gets around to completing the list of things that he thought he would need to believe in the resurrection of christ John said what we all really need to believe and what, is, and what can really bring about the response that Thomas had when, is, when he said, now Jesus did other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in the book because we didn't need those to be written in the book. But the ones that were written, the event that we just saw with Thomas written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, today the power of God's word in the gospel has the ability to confirm in us the hope that we need to face and to stare down the threat of COVID-19, the threat of a bad marriage, the threat of Fear, the threat of our economy, the threat of bad health. Um, It is a substantial resurrection to bring about and accomplish God's will in a very substantial way for our life experience. God wants to give us the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead to move into our lives and to begin to transform and move us into what he has created us to be you may have a lot of things that that you think need to be proved before and i was just like that and and to a degree i still wrestle with my faith you know and one of the big things was that, that i just couldn't wrap my head around a flood so so deep that it would go around the whole earth and all these animals marching into a boat and, and that boat floats around for a while and that all the people are wiped out and 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 I found myself getting stuck on that story, and I was okay with that story, and that story, and that story over there, and that story over there, and and that story over there, and then it was, then I set my heart to try to scientifically, rationally, and biblically try to come up with a resolution for this other story, and then it was like, you know, I'm just not really figuring it out here. How, How could God have pulled this off? And And then when I go back into the Gospels and I hear Jesus talk and then I see Jesus die on the cross and then I I see the story and the testimony of this substantial resurrection and the words of somebody like Thomas who, who, who wanted one of the stories that he didn't understand to be resolved, but all of a sudden doesn't need that resolved anymore, that demand that he had. And so I have questions about stories, about some elements of my faith but they're not substantial elements of my faith. But Jesus rising from the dead, that's substantial because it was something accomplished by God. It's sustainable, it's repeatable, and it's good. And it's substantially human, meaning it applies to my life right here and in the life after. As we enter into this last song of worship, uh, let me encourage you to move beyond The symbolic and the metaphorical uh, move beyond the mythical, move beyond Easter. Easter won't do you anything. Um, The resurrection will do everything to move and receive the testimony that was written down for us. Because God, in all of his wisdom, realized that what was written down does have the power if we're willing to to seek God, it does have the power to substantially transform our lives. Let me encourage you to believe. Let me encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that on this day thousands of years ago, which seems so far away, that that same Spirit is still as concretely real and is still moving in people the way that it moved in Christ to bring about a new life in us and the eventual resurrection of the body and life eternal with God. Let me encourage you to take that step today, to move out of the realm of story and into the realm of belief. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We thank you that you turn to a culture of Thomases, that we have all kinds of questions, we have all kinds of demands, we have all kinds of ways that we want you to prove yourself to us. But God, we just pray that through the power of your word and the confirmation of your Holy Spirit, that you will speak into our souls. That God, that our faith will once again be restored into a concrete understanding of the meaning of life and the future for our lives. Fathers, we enter into this time of worship and and praise to you. We just pray that the resurrection will become a reality in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.